The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. When Jesus had crossed in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and besought him, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a flow of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I shall be made well. And immediately the hemorrhage ceased, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone forth from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had been done to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But ignoring what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, he saw a tumult and people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a tumult and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, Little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and walked, for she was twelve years old. And immediately they were overcome with amazement, and he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and told them to give her something to eat. The Gospel of the Lord. I know I've preached on this scene before, so you'll have to forgive me if I repeat some of the things that the church fathers say. Um, and uh, this scene was, I took it the one of the years that I was on my canonical retreat, I took this scene as the meditation uh, for the retreat. Uh, it was when I was making my retreat in Fatima. And it was a very beautiful um, time there meditating upon this scene with all of its kind of depth, especially when we approach it from the lenses that the church fathers give us and so St. Augustine, his commentary on this scene, he says that everything that happens here is a symbol for Christ's work of salvation in souls. 
as he casts out sin, but also as he brings souls to perfection. And so what we see here, him working in terms of physical healing and raising from the dead in terms of the body is what he then does in a spiritual sense for our soul when he delivers us from sin and raises us from death in our souls. And so it's this beautiful work of Christ, his work of salvation. And it's juxtaposed against what we read yesterday, which was when Christ was on the other side of the Lake of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, and when he was rejected from that region. So when he steps into this region where there is absolutely no faith and God is not um, present there and the Word of God is not meditated upon there, so also the people reject the presence of Jesus Christ, this beautiful healing presence of Christ. And so what one of the other church fathers points out is that the source, the locus, if you will, of healing, of grace, is Christ himself and his presence. And so wherever the presence of Christ moves throughout the pages of Scripture as we read it, so also in his wake, one of the church fathers says, in his wake is healing, in his wake is grace, in his wake is conversion, transformation, all of these beautiful works that the Lord uh, accomplishes. But the source of all of those things is his presence. And this follows on from the saint that we celebrate today, Saint John Bosco, whom I think I've mentioned. Our, my own person, my family has a connection to him because my great great grandfather was an orphan who was raised by him. And so he's a wonderful, wonderful saint. But he says this with regards to the Blessed Sacrament as well and to the Eucharist. He says, The Eucharist is the source of all holiness and all virtue. All holiness and all virtue, because it is the same Christ. The same Christ that we see in the Gospels is the Christ that we receive in Holy Communion. And the same power that we see at work in the Gospels is present to us in the same Christ whom we receive at Holy Communion. And so what we see here is then where the Lord has now been rejected on the other side of the lake. So when he comes to this side, where we know that there is the worship of God because the first to meet him is Jairus, who is, who is the head of the synagogue. And so there is at least the worship and the contemplation of the Word of God. And so there is faith. Even though it's not yet perfect, there is a faith that seeks to be made perfect. And the Lord walks these people through the perfection of their faith. And so in terms of, as St. Augustine says, looking at this with regards to Christ's work of salvation and the casting out of sin, it's very interesting because uh, some of the church fathers, they, they divide this scene up and they say that the seen with the woman who has the hemorrhage, she represents venial sin. And the daughter who has died, she represents the effects of mortal sin. And so what you have is a connection between this young girl and the woman. And the connection is that the, young, the woman has had a flow of blood for 12 years, and the young girl is 12 years old. And so all of the church fathers see a significance and meaning, meaning in the fact that those two same periods of time align. And so one of the fathers or patristic insights is that this points to the fact um, that sin has its same origin in time, right? Sin has all of sin, even whether it's venial or mortal, all has its same origin in original sin. And so there is a link between these two scenes. And so what happens is that this woman who has the hemorrhage for 12 years, this is like venial sin when it creeps into our life. It doesn't kill us, but it definitely weakens us. It weakens us in our ability to do the things that we should be doing. 
It weakens us in our movement towards perfection. And while it doesn't bring death, it brings, in a certain sense, kind of this weakness to our soul. And slowly, as this woman, it bleeds away the grace and the power and the light and the love and the virtue that is in us because of God's grace. And it says that she had suffered much and a many physicians spending all she had but only grew worse. And this is the great tragedy of sin, is that as we try to remedy that deep interior longing for God, but as we try to fill that with other things, which is basically what happens when we sin, is to fill ourselves with other things that are not God in an attempt to try and satisfy ourselves. And so it says that she had spent all she had trying to do this at many other physicians, but she had only grown worse. And so also, as we try to seek our healing outside of Christ himself, we will only grow worse. But then she heard reports about Jesus and his presence. And she musters in herself this beautiful act of faith and humility. She pushes her way through the crowds. She has to fight her way through the crowds. The crowds also representing maybe all the sins that have accumulated in our life and can accumulate in our life, all of these other attachments that can keep us from actually getting close to Christ. But she perseveres in pushing through these things and coming up behind the Lord only to touch the hem of his garment. She knows that a simple contact with Christ is sufficient to heal her, is sufficient to communicate to her grace. What she also knows, which is interesting, which is that for anyone to touch someone who had been hemorrhaging like this, or for anyone to touch a dead person, they would have been made unclean in that time. And yet the power of what we see here in the Lord is that he is not made unclean, but rather he makes clean. To touch Christ has the invert effect of what used to happen. To touch him in his power, in his presence, is to give life and cleanliness. It restores. And so she walks up behind, not wanting to expose him in any way or not wanting others to think that he has been made unclean. She simply touches the hem of his garment right behind him. And then the Lord who perceives the power going forth from him he turns around and he says, who touched my garments? He asked the question, but he knows the answer. The purpose of his asking the question is because the Lord is always gentle. He will not thrust someone out into an unnecessary, awkward situation if they are unwilling. He's gentle with souls. It's an invitation. Who touched my garments, knowing full well who it was? And he waits for her to come forward in confidence before he bestows upon her his praise. And she comes forward in fear and trembling, thinking that maybe she's done something wrong. And the Lord addresses her as daughter, which is the wonderful restoration to grace, right? When our sins are forgiven us, we are then infused with God's grace as we were at baptism, and we become children of the Heavenly Father, and thus children also of Christ himself, who is the source of that transformation and grace for us. And so he refers to her now in the beauty of this relationship. Daughter, your faith has made you well. And he encourages and, and he puts on to display the beauty of her act of faith. Go in peace 
because we know that God dwells in peace. Go in peace, knowing that now God goes with her and be healed of your disease. And so, as she is healed of this physical disease, as St. Augustine says, this is also all representative of the healing process from sin. While he was still speaking, while he is still praising this great act of faith, what happens is this group comes in to try and sow doubt into the heart of Jairus. Your daughter is dead, why trouble the teacher any further? Their words are cold, callous, uncaring, not full of love, the complete opposite of all the words that the Lord has just spoken. And so what the Lord does before this doubt can take root in the heart of this one whom he has come to help, he immediately plucks out their words. And he does it by putting in his own words. Do not fear, only believe. Do not fear, only believe. And so whenever we have these moments of doubt in our life, temptations to doubt, the Lord is, uproots them by means of his own words. If you struggle with a lack of faith, take in the words of Jesus Christ and the scriptures and allow his words to have the same effect in us that they had in Jairus. And he allowed no one except him, except Peter, James, and John, and the brothers of James, to come into the house with him. And so he is going to work this beautiful ministry and this beautiful healing within the house. When he came into the house, they see all of these people wailing loudly, people who have already given up hope. And we cannot blame them. At that point, they do not know what the Lord is going to do. They do not know that the one who has been invited to the house, that to him, someone who is asleep or someone who has died is truly just asleep. He wakes people from death as easily as we might wake someone up from sleep. Like we might call someone to wake up, he calls this young girl back to life and he shows the beautiful power again of his words. His words which are able to reach through the veil of death into where the soul is now separated from the body. And the power of his words is able to reunite the two, body and soul, and reinvigorate with life. And so he speaks to her as if she is one already awake and listening. He says, Talitha kum, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately we see the effect of his word. The God who creates by means of his word, as we've said before, heals by means of his word. And the effects are immediately, are immediately evident. Just as he says, let there be light and there was light. So now he says to her, arise, and immediately she, rise, she rises. And then one last point, which is to tie it all in in the Eucharistic lens. He strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. And one of the patristic insights points out that this is because every soul needs a food to nourish it. Every life needs food. And so just as our natural life needs our daily food, so also our spiritual life needs daily food. And this is the Eucharist. This is the bread from heaven, Christ himself. And so what we have here when we're considering this in terms of deliverance from sin and perfection and sanctification, 
is that this all centers around that daily bread. That's all centers around the Eucharist. This all centers around Christ himself, the source of holiness, the source of virtue. Amen.